Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Rob Kerr, Senior Managing Consultant of VIA Group, a global leadership development consultancy. Rob has over 20 years of experience in leadership consulting and coaching inside organizations and across multiple industries, including pharmaceuticals, financial services, B2B marketing, oil and gas, high tech, and manufacturing. Rob has a PhD in organization development from Benedictine University and has written articles and has spoken the National Academy of Management conferences in areas of global mindset, change, and organization development. Currently, Rob is a senior managing consultant with Via Group and has led leadership efforts at Takeda and Acellus Pharmaceuticals, Nielsen, and Discover Financial Services. Rob, thanks for joining the HR Works podcast. My pleasure, Josh. Good to be with you. All right. Well, it's great to have you on. It's great to introduce you to our audience. So in doing that, I'd love to get started having you take us through your career path and telling us what got you interested in pursuing a career in organizational development and leadership coaching. Yeah, and it's, it's quite a journey. I, you know, looking over the years, I started off in kind of traditional training and development roles with Discover Card years and years ago and found that I just enjoyed working with people and moved into leadership development and then started picking up some other things in my toolbox. So I was in HR inside these large organizations for about 15 years. So I moved into you know, succession planning efforts, uh, employee engagement survey work, and then started leading more just kind of corporate initiatives and big change management programs and, and those kinds of things and to sweeten the toolkit. And then uh, yeah, after a few years of doing that, I thought, well, gosh, I, I, you know, I got the practitioner thing down. Maybe I should get some scholarly chops. So I went back to school and worked on my uh, PhD and just loved it, you know, felt like I was finally able to put some rigor to the things that I'd been doing, uh, you know, in, in practice, which was just really great. And, and after doing that for a few years, uh, I realized that I was really doing mostly internal consulting work. I didn't really have a budget when I was in HR. I was getting my budget from the other leaders that were, you know, coming to me for work. Hey, Rob, can we do one of these? And I'd say, sure, you know, give me, give me some money for that and give me some money and we'll do it. So uh, I made the leap at that point into consulting and been consulting for the last nine years in some of these areas around, you know, I've done a lot more with uh, assessment work of leaders, you know, especially executive leaders, a lot of work in high potentials and really developing high potentials for future leadership roles. Uh, succession planning continues and a lot of uh, coaching right, over the last you know, decade or so. I did a lot of coaching when I was inside and I've continued that over the last you know, several years. So that's been a, it's been a great journey. It's been really fulfilling. And it's um, anytime I get to work with leaders, I just love doing it because I, I just find that they're so fascinating and I, it's an endless supply <laughs> of enthusiasm. That's so great. And I can feel your enthusiasm and passion for that coming through immediately. So thanks for sharing that, Rob. Sure. So Rob, we've got you on today. I wanted to look at a recent report that was released by Via Group, which is the second annual Via Vision Survey, which surveyed a thousand U.S. professionals nationwide, really looking to learn about leadership development. Leadership has taken on such a different form over the last two years, especially with so much change from the remote era, from the great resignation. Leadership has been tested and the development of leadership has really taken on a new look. So before we really dig into those numbers, can you just share a bit more about the Via Vision survey and what that aimed to show and what you found? 
Sure. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's a survey that we, we did with a thousand professionals. Uh, and this year we did also a breakdown on sectors, uh, you know, in some different industry groups. So you know, we were reporting out really, you know, what is, what has been our findings around leadership development, uh, diversity, you know, and inclusion programs. And, you know, what have we found in terms of uh, what works well, uh, some do's and don'ts. And I think overall, uh, what we found this year was we still have some room to go, you know, with the big shift that occurred during COVID uh, to more online experiences and more, uh, you know, really companies having to come to terms with how much do we really care about our employees? Are we going to really take, are we going to take them to the next level or are we just kind of doing lip service here? And I think it's in the survey results, we find there are things that we do as organizations that really drive engagement uh, with our employees. And those things are becoming maybe more pronounced over the last couple of years. You know, the, uh, those who really want to find purpose inside new organizations are in some cases finding a real stronger connection to their organizations, or in some cases, unfortunately, maybe finding less of that connection. So that, that comes through in the data for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And absolutely, we're seeing the real presence of the employee value proposition being driven through a lot of organizations and also understanding the employer branding, right? There's the employers really establishing who they are, what their values are for their employees, but then also employees expressing what they're looking for and what their needs are in this current market. It's an interesting time of learning about leadership, about talent recognition, and really building up your workforce from within, too. There's some really great opportunities, and it's absolutely a changing force. So looking at that survey, one thing that was notable was seeing that there are still a number of organizations who still primarily rely on subjective measures to select high potential candidates for leadership development. So even though, again, we're aiming for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really building up a wider pipeline for leadership development, we're still seeing a heavy focus on employees in their 30s and 40s and a bit of sameness. So what are some of those subjective measures that are leading organizations astray here? Well, I think it goes back to the old tradition of, I think I know best. And so sometimes we see executives particularly, I mean, it, it comes maybe from a good intention. You know, they're trying to create opportunities for people that they really value and they've seen perform. And uh, in some cases, they get a little bit nostalgic. Hey, this person is just like I was when I was their age. Sure. And while that that's kind of great in some aspects, it limits the view. It limits the scope a little bit too much. So when... You know, when I've worked with executives on these kinds of things, when you're, when you're talking about selecting into something like a leader development program, for example, it's often the case where uh, leaders will kind of get together and they'll huddle and they'll say, you know, hey, here's our favorite 15 people. Let's go for it. Uh, and I've learned over the years to try and slow them down a bit and say, you know, can you get some additional data? You know, if you think that person's great, let's, let's just put it to the test. You know, let's do some sort of objective measure and maybe widen the pool a little bit rather than kind of honing in on our top 15. Let's just say, you know, maybe we have a pool of 30 or 40 or 50 and let's assess the pool. Let's ask them, right. you know, to respond to some of these different assessment instruments and, and see who rises to the top. It doesn't mean that you still can't select. I, I think we never really take that fully over, fully away from the executives. I think that's not the intent. It's just to help them make a better informed decision about who gets in. And like I said, kind of widen the possibilities a little bit more. I think too long it's been just constrained. So uh, there are things you can do uh, in, in one organization. You know, we were doing a, a program for a high potential group 
And it took that very much same approach. Hey, you know, Rob, here's our top 20 people. And can you, you know, start lining up the vendors and blah, 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 which is fine. <laughs> but uh, I said, well, why don't we, you know, if you, if you can afford to take another 30 days, let's, let's qualify people for the program. If we're going to spend, you know, X number of dollars invested in this program, let's make sure we've got the right people. And so we did, we, we put them through, we did a couple of things. We did some you know, simple personality kind of assessments to check, you know, where they're stronger or weaker. And we actually went to the participants in the pool and said, you know, what's your interest in doing something like this? And guess what? We found that there were some people who said, I have no aspirations for being a leader. Wow. You know, I look up the line and I, I see my boss and that's not something I want for myself. So like, okay, well, we'll save the cost of that one. Right. That's you know, important so- to know. Right. So, so trying to just check in with people and not assume too much. And even sometimes when you ask, you, you may have somebody who says, oh, that's not me. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm well suited for that. Or, you know, it, it belongs to somebody else. Um, it, it gives you a chance to dive in a little bit deeper and have that conversation about, well, you know, why do you, why do you say that? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And, you know, what are your longer term goals or, or can I help inspire you a little bit and give you some opportunities? So I think it, it just opens up that conversation with a little more data, a little more outreach, uh, rather than sort of a backroom huddle, uh, I think is, is still kind of the default, uh, unfortunately. That's really interesting. Just asking those questions sometimes can unlock new answers or things you hadn't thought of previously. I love that example, too, of asking some of the employees who may not have thought they were suited for leadership positions, but asking them and understanding why maybe even changing their mindset could make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's as we have said and seen time and time again, making that right hire is so important. So taking that extra time to understand your candidate pool, not waste time with candidates who really have no interest in advancing too. It's so crucial and important with making these hiring and advancement decisions for your organization. You're setting the course for your future. You really want to take as much time and, and do as much due diligence as possible. I mean, there is a there is a degree of human nature here too, right? Yeah. If, if the company is going to embark in some new big initiative and put a, a lot of money behind it, uh, some people just don't want to be the early adopter. You know, they'd rather kind of wait. You know, maybe I'll join later on. And uh, organizations can do more to just signal, you know, this is something we're in for the long haul. You know, this is not a one and done. Uh, when when I was working with you know more inside with uh, with corporate groups we would say, okay, you're the first cohort to go through, you know, and that would signal to people, well, there's probably going to be more. Oh, that's a good thing. So this is not like, you know, my only chance. And we started having, you know, I think in that organization, we got up to 13 different cohorts. So, you know, several hundred people going through the program over the course of a few years. And as, as you could kind of look to other people going through it, you could say, oh, well, I can see myself going through that. I can see that as a possibility for me. And you know, uh, nobody died coming out of that program. They got, you know, they got some more opportunities and got some great career exposure and there may be a place for me. And so again, it's about creating a space where people feel like they could find a space, find a home, you know, find a voice. Absolutely. Well said. So Rob, in mentioning the Via Vision survey, you mentioned coming away with some do's and don'ts for really building a successful leadership and development program. Do you mind sharing those with our audience? Sure. I guess first off the bat, the easy one is uh, don't take a premature victory lap. You know, Uh, I think very often leaders say, hey, you know, we've got our employee resource group set up. Uh, You know, we've got this program in place. 
I just hired a head of diversity. Those are all good things. Those are all fine. But I would say don't declare victory too soon and don't don't make it sound like you've got a goal that has been accomplished. You know, I mean, does quality ever really end? You know, inside an organization, does, you know, do you ever say, gosh, we, I guess we've got enough customer service now. We can kind of sit back and feel good about that. Diversity and inclusiveness and, you know, a sense of belonging inside an organization is fundamental to your culture. It should be, it should be something longer term. So don't, uh, don't declare victory too early and don't make it too exclusive. Um, that's on the don't side. I guess on the do side, like I was saying earlier, do use some assessment data to bring some objectivity to decisions around, especially around promotions or opportunities for advancement or you know, development experiences or coaching, for example. And uh, like I said, ask leaders about their aspirations, check in with them, really ask them what they find challenging about their work. You know, I, I think people want to be valued and they feel valued when you go to them and say, you know, care about you. It's uh, years and years ago at Intel, they used to do this thing where the CEO would do what he called the walk in the park. And then they, he'd you know, take some high potential person and walk around the campus, you know, out in the, the sprawling landscape of Intel campus. <laughs> and he would have these conversations like, hey, we really value you. We see you, you know, we've been watching you and you're somebody who has, you know, has a bright future ahead. And, you know, kind of what are your interests? What do you want to do? And you can do that virtually. You can do it with anybody at any level. But I think just taking an interest, showing a genuine you know, concern for who they are is really a piece of that. So do more of that. And then I think uh, providing opportunities, if it's not in a formal program, maybe providing some stretch opportunities or opportunities to work across departments or functions, get more exposure and increase some decision authority in that process. There are lots of things you can do to expand people's range uh, and growth. And I think those are all things that we, are, they're simple. Sometimes they're just so simple we forget yeah. them. Right. Sometimes it's just getting to know the person. To that simple point, it like, as again, the Intel example, just getting to know the person and understand their passions and where they want to go and where they want to advance and just helping them along. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think we've been down the road of, you know, hiring quotas and stuff like that and, you know, at a higher, higher, more at a higher percentage. And, and that's, you know, that's okay if that's all you can do. But, right. but again, a hiring quota is not going to change your culture. Culture is the sum total of people. And so you have to have a human solution that gets at that. And I, I think that's, that's what we've learned. And that's what this survey has told us too. And you want people who want to be there and want to be in their role too. Yeah. And that's important by just understanding their passion and where they want to be. When you can help someone along in that path and show that you care about them as the person, you're going to get their their full self. They're going to put their full effort into what they're doing and keep that positive culture going. Right. Yeah. There was a company I was working with a couple of years ago that was trying to increase awareness for uh, like mental health. Right. A Canadian company and a lot of companies that have tried that. You know, they'll really promote their EAP or whatever it is. You know, in HR, which is fine. But what these guys did that I thought was really unique was they had this program, and I wish I could remember the exact name. But it was something like, "You're not yourself today." And boy, I thought that was clever. Uh, they started, you know, there were little badges and little kind of things hanging up around the office, but you're not yourself today became their way of saying, hey, if you if you see somebody who's kind of struggling, go talk to them. You know, how are you doing today? You just don't seem like yourself today. And it's not to say, you know, it's not making everybody a, a psycholo you know, psychologist or a counselor. Right. It's just simply saying, if, if you're struggling, can I help? Is there anything that I can do? 
and if if you're not comfortable talking to me, talk to somebody, you know, and we do have a program, you know, but, but using employees to help other employees became just such a nice exponential lift inside that organization rather than having just the posters or just the monikers or just the, you know, just the town hall speech. Uh, they really infused energy into the culture. It was great. Yeah, it's more tangible. It's more real. Yeah, yep. caring with within the culture. That's that's so great. So Rob, we've touched on a few of the the benefits already, right? In building a successful leadership development and DEI program. Are there any other items or any other key benefits out there that we might have missed? I know we've talked about culture being one of them, but what else is out there? Well, of course, you get uh, you know greater uh, innovation, creativity. Uh, the more you open up your organization and, and these leadership development programs or, you know, through your diversity, equity, inclusive programs, get a wider span in your, you know, talent pools, uh, your workforce, uh, you, you add to the creativity. You know, I, I think we have forgotten that teams can be really diverse, you know, yeah. uh, it's, <laughs> it's a great opportunity to, to expand your view of the world. Uh, Sometimes, yeah, I was doing a program where it was a global organization and they brought people together. And one of the dumb little exercises that I used to do with these people was, you know, we would get people from different regions, different levels of the organization, uh, different backgrounds entirely, but from the same organization. We'd say, okay, why don't you guys do a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, do a SWOT analysis on the business. And we'd break them into small groups. Inevitably, they would come up with, vastly different views of the same business. They'd say, oh, our strengths are this. Well, if you're in sales, our strength is sales. If you're in IT, our strength is in IT. If you're in data analytics, our strength is in data data analytics. So bumping people into each other creates a richer conversation and allows you to be a little bit more self-critiquing and not be so insular. Uh, I think too often as organizations, uh, we um, become too focused on ourselves and too focused on my my function or my role. And so as much as you can, I think, try to expand their view internally uh, and expose them to, you know, the customer. Uh, so I think what we've learned is uh, the more diversity you have inside the organization, the, the more likely you are to match your customers, uh, your right. customer base, and come up with really innovative ideas. I think Harvard said there's like a like as much as a 20% kind of premium on diversity for revenue inside those organizations that really focus on, you know, DE&I. It's a great, it's a great value uh, that organizations can tap into or they can leave it latent and lose the results of that. Yes, your your customers are always evolving. You need to meet those customers and, and really make those efforts to match them. And that's so smart. And back to the point too, of just team building with diversity. I mean, there's no better feeling sometimes when you're in an ideation phase with a team and someone thinks of something that you hadn't thought of previously, right? It's that that light bulb moment goes off and that's really made possible by building a diverse team. Yeah. And, you know, it's different. Uh, you know, there's a North American view of the world and then there's sort of the rest of the world view of the world <laughs> and, and the rest of the world uh, happens. It, it works very differently. And we find sometimes that in other parts of the world, they're experimenting with new ideas that if you could just leverage them slightly, uh, I was worked for a, I worked for a pharmaceutical organization for years and in the UK, uh, they were really struggling to uh, cope with the national board of health, right. To get access to new products or get access to doctors and physicians, you know, to be able to use the product. And 
that was a problem that was emerging in the U.S. at the time, right? This was way before Obamacare had started. And so, you know, they were finding when we are faced with similar kind of boards of review or, you know, needing to, you know, get approval, you know, for our drug, the U.K. set the standard for what the U.S. was able to do later on. And so leveraging that diversity and leveraging some of those lessons learned outside of North America was just tremendously uh, beneficial when the time came to work more uh, with some of these governing bodies and regulatory bodies uh, inside the United States. Uh, Tremendously helpful. Yeah, well said. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the HR Works podcast is sponsored by Mystery. Mystery makes meaningful connections for employees at work. By breaking down silos and engaging employees, Mystery boosts morale and builds connections across teams by curating virtual events based on employees' shared interests. By matching the right people with the right events, Mystery Events drives an average attendance of 87% compared to the industry average of 50%. With hundreds of quality vetted events, Mystery has something for every team. For a limited time, listeners of the HR Works podcast can get two events for the price of one. Head over to trymystery.com slash hrworks. That's trymystery.com slash hrworks to book your first event and get your second one free. And now back to our episode. So Rob, for those companies and organizations that are really looking to develop their leadership development and DEI programs, is there a measurement? Is there a way to gauge how they're doing? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we always look to employee engagement surveys uh, of those kinds have been around for many years. And I think they, they do help. I think if you only do the survey and then forget about it, it's, it's sort of less helpful. But if you can get some data, uh, either through, you know, survey work, assessment work, uh, focus groups, uh, gauge, take the pulse of the organization and ask people about what their real life sort of lived experience is inside the organization and then take it seriously and then follow up and actually do something. I think if, if employees felt like you were going to take some action based on what they were saying, they'd be more likely to give you the feedback. And, right. and we know that about, you know, from employee engagement survey work over the years, if you take them seriously and you do put some actions in place and you uh, see some tangible improvement as the employee, you're more likely to lend your voice. Uh, and that serves a whole lot of great purposes, uh, not the least of which is just getting better, more accurate understanding of the workforce and what their needs are and what they're experiencing. I think that's really key. So the measures, I would say that's one measure. I think another measure would be, uh, you know, are people staying with you? Uh, are they, are they uh, finding that they've got uh, you know, a place to stay and a, a welcome team. Uh, you know, I, I think you get those retention numbers coming up, of course. But then I think you also have, uh, I, I always like to look for successor data. I like to look to organizations and say, how's your pool of successors? How big is it? Do you have one or two successors for every key role? Or do you have one or do you have none? Uh, so how, how well are they uh, uh, recruiting from a pool of talent? How big is that pool? And they constantly refreshing that pool of talent. Interesting. So yeah, looking down the line a bit. Yeah, exactly. You know, how far out do your plans go for leader development? You know, is it, hey, we got, an, we got enough money to fund one cohort of, you know, some program this year? Or is it broader than that? You know, do you have a longer term strategy that 
will create some build and pipeline growth you know, over time. Have you found that there's a sweet spot of how far out teams should be planning? Can you ever plan too far in advance or is it like a five-year window is a, is a safe one to look at? Well, yeah, I mean, I think any, anytime you're talking about culture, and I think leadership is a part of culture, you know, diversity and equity inclusion is part of culture. I think with most cultural things, I, there is kind of a sweet spot that I've, I've learned over the years, which is around three years, right? Uh, around that three-year time frame, you can plan out far enough that it feels like you're building and growing without being so far out there that you don't uh, you know, move with the organization and with your customers and with the business. So I would say have, a, you know, have plans out at least 18 months to two years. And then if you have a vision of what year three could look like, you know, just be really flexible with that vision. So I think it's fair to say you know, most of this stuff, if you plan for three years, it means you're committed. Yeah. And uh, in the short term, just uh, you know, keep it moving along, but be flexible. Yeah, I mean, look at what's changed in the last three years, right? I, I exactly. can guarantee you that almost everyone, their plans in 2019 were vastly different from how it turned out now in 2022. So yeah, it's funny. I was I was actually preparing to do like a big high potential program for an organization in February uh, before you know before the lockdown started happening. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, do we scrap the program? No, we just pivoted and did some things online and we, we changed the way we went about it. It was a highly successful program and not what we envisioned, but just because we were able to pivot and people were willing to take some chances, kind of ended up being a great experience. Absolutely. And I think you hear plenty of cases now too of people returning back to the office, oftentimes returning back to desks, maybe they haven't been back to since 2019 and finding those old calendars, finding those old post-it notes of previous plans in 2019 that have taken on a completely different look. Yep, exactly right. So yeah, that three-year window seems like a good good range to shoot for again for your future planning, for your leadership development, and for your DEI planning. Well, the realities are too, you know, most organizations work off of annual fiscal cycle, right? Right. And so sometimes budgets are just approved for this year. And so there are realities when you're working inside these large organizations, you got to be thinking ahead. And so I used to go sit down with my financial guys, you know, and say, hey, just so you know, we have this program this year and we're going to keep it next year and add to it. You know, so it's like just, right. just getting the organization in sync with what you're trying to do uh, has a lot to do with your success if you're internal like that. Um, aligning your internal resources so you can keep it going, sustaining it. And that goes even back to that example you used with the cohort and saying, okay, this is the first cohort. Right. There's more to come. It's the end of that same idea of you're building momentum, that there's more than just what we're on today. Yeah. There's a future plan here. Yep, exactly right. So Rob, for those organizations that may notice that something's going wrong with their leadership development culture or with their DEI culture, what can they do to change course and adapt quickly to, to kind of get back toward the right track? So, you know, it's... Um... They have to be able to spot it. So you have to have mechanisms in place. And, you know, as a minimum, it could just be what you're hearing on the ground. You know, do you have, uh, you know, typically your HR people, your business partners can be a great first source of information on that. Uh, surveys or pulses like that that you're doing with the population can really help. Once you recognize you're off course, uh, then you know, this is where uh, diversity can really play a key role. Pull a diverse group of people together and try to create a list of priorities to solve for it, you know, thinking that it will go away uh, won't solve anything. We learned that with, with COVID, you know, the, the best leaders during COVID were able to keep things going and pivot. 
you know, and yeah, I don't know where we're going, but we'll try, you know, we'll keep putting forth some effort uh, with guidance from some of these diverse groups. Like it can, can really help a lot. So if they find that they're off course with a leader development program, get some help, you know, first recognize it and then, you know, get some help. I mean, obviously, you know, we're in the business of helping leaders and helping organizations, um, but there are just a lot of tools you can use out there to really help leaders thrive and flourish and help organizations see the possibilities uh, rather than just sort of staying stuck. Uh, and so I think getting help and, and driving to that can really uh, create some strong benefits. I mean, we've got our own kind of programmatic approaches that help. We do a lot of assessment work. It's sort of our bread and butter. Uh, we help leaders understand themselves and we help organizations understand the talent that they've got so that they can better plan and get back on course if they found that they've strayed a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's, it sounds like it's first just being honest with yourself, right? Recognizing when there is an issue, being honest with yourself, being honest with your people, and then yet yeah, finding a great resource out in the market. And there are so many great ones who can give you some help and give you some guidance to get back in course. That, that's some great advice there, Rob. So Rob, in looking at the survey data that came back from the ViaVision survey, sounded like there were some industries that were more successful than others, really, in leadership development and DEI planning. What are those industries doing that makes them more successful? What's setting them apart from maybe some that struggle? Yes, we saw a lot, you know, with a really high growth industry. So uh, IT came off as sort of one of the highest, you know, percentage participations in leader development programs. I think that results from just, again, it is, it's high growth. It's, you know, very often with IT, the biggest struggle is in workforce, right? Uh, it's how do you get people in the door? How do you keep your best talent? How do you keep them away from your competition? You know, so so for leader development, a lot of what they've been looking for is opportunities to retain their best and brightest. So of course, uh, you would see that uh, percentage uh, jumping up. I think in those high growth, high in demand workforces, uh, and IT, you know, takes the lead at sixty one percent. A little lower on the scale was healthcare. Uh, again, if we're talking about leader development, they came in around 40% participation in LD programs. And that may have had, you know, we'll see, that may have just hit a valley, I think, with COVID uh, because you know, perhaps they got distracted a bit, yeah. uh, you know, given the realities of just coping with a demand of services. So we'll see, I think, over time uh, how that plays out. But that would be true for any industry. You know, they can kind of lose their focus sometimes and just say, you know, hey, we're choosing to devote time here. The best companies still find a way of getting it done. You know, still find a way to keep the continuity going, whether it's through doing the same thing or whether they just have to pivot a little bit, you know, for a year and change their approach. But but keep people aware that they are still continuing to move things forward, keeping that vision. On, uh, on employee engagement, um, kind of similar numbers. Healthcare came in lower at like 30%. You know, employee engagement over the decades has traditionally been like around 50%. You know, it's, it's hard for organization to break out of that. Among, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, we found that in the banking and financial services industry came out in the strongest position. So I think they were like in the, you know, mid 60 percentiles uh, for participation in those kinds of programs. So if you're in those organizations, you would expect to have access to more specific programs, points of view uh, maybe groups inside, uh, but also maybe access to things like uh, programs, coaching, support. And so you would see that in, in more of the financial services and professional services industry. So yeah, there were some differences. I think it's, it's interesting to start looking at the industry groups and see, uh, you know, 
who's on the cutting edge, who do we look to for best practices? And right now, uh, IT is, is leading out in many of those respects, and that bleeds over to many other industries. Almost every industry has an IT component, so you can look to your own organization. If you're not a high-tech organization, you could still say there's a big high-tech component um, that we need to pay attention to for the same reasons. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's technology presence in, I think, everything we do, regardless of the industry, you're relying on technology in some capacity. I mean, again, last two years have been a perfect example of that as, as so much has moved through a remote era and just yeah. distributed workforces. Speaking of distributed workforces, how has the move to more distributed workforces, how has that changed leadership development and just organizational development in general? I think it's really helped. I, I really do. Um, and I mean, if you just think about the basics, I mean, take something just like recruiting. You know, if all of a sudden you were, you were, you've been looking in your own backyard for talent and now all of a sudden the whole world is your backyard. Boy, all of a sudden you've got access to talent that you didn't have before. And not all organizations are well suited for that, but for those that uh, can uh, expand a little bit more uh, for recruiting efforts, boy, the tremendous, tremendous value there. In terms of uh, leadership development, having everybody to some extent go remote for a while has been a real advantage. I mean, look at, uh, you know, if you're a parent with kids in school, you've had to really learn a lot more about online presence and had to learn a lot more about online education. And I think that will trickle over. I think it has had a a beneficial effect for learning. And as leaders try to develop, you know, we're, we're, I think we've broken over the last two years, that stigma that says you have to be in person, face to face in a classroom to really get developed. Um, You know, we, we have a platform called viability that is more of an integrated platform. So you get, you know, the best of kind of self-guided learning uh, traditional kind of e-learning stuff. You get some of that, but it's also curated and you get a coach experience. So you're getting a, a richer online experience as a learner that more fits how people actually learn and how they actually uh, engage with other people online. So you can have cohorts online. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could, you know, instead of just being in a classroom with Joe down the corner around the block, if you could be online with, you know, your your IT group in Poland that is creating something really unique and uh, that's going to have impact on your customers. Wouldn't it be great to be able to be able to talk to them real time? And so I think breaking down some of those barriers and some of those restrictions, just in different platforms and different solutions like this that are more integrated, provides huge benefits uh, for learning and for growth and for helping people see the full scope of the organization in ways that they just weren't able to do before. I think it's the advantages are huge for that. Well, just think too, it's much more difficult to put 50 to 100 people into one sole room on a campus versus yep. again, when you've got a Teams or a, a Zoom call, it's an unlimited cap space. It's just easier to reach that many more people at once. There's more flexibility, there's more adaptability, there's just more access that we've learned and, and figured out through this distributed era. I mean, some people are really great at being self-directed. Yeah. Others require, you know, somebody else. <laughs> they require some help. They require some guidance. And so I think, uh, I think, you know, providing a learning experience that has some, some differences to it allows different, you know, learning styles of different uh, people to be fully utilized. I yeah. think that's the role. Has succession planning and that that development of the next leadership group, how has that been impacted through the distributed model? Has it 
made it harder to groom that next leader of an organization? Oh, I don't think so. I, you know, um, that's changing too. I mean, there's been research over the years that has said, you know, I mean, a typical sort of succession planning system inside a large corporation consists of some senior leader having some sort of mentor, right? And this one-on-one relationship that lasts for a year and kind of is ambiguous and kind of really know where it starts or where it ends, you know, so it can kind of a little bit, be a little bit weird, but I think in, as we've learned and as the research has indicated, people get access to mentor networks, right? So the ability to network inside an organization, the more we can foster that, uh, the more you can bring learning uh, of a wider variety to your successors. So where it might've been the case years ago that one successor gets paired with one senior leader and you hopefully you know get the, the right senior leader as their mentor. Now uh, the su- successor has access to a whole range of subject matter experts, uh, you know, key leaders, and you can group them together virtually in virtual space uh, in ways that just are so much easier than hopping on a plane and flying somewhere, if that was your only solution before. And you can have a fairly rich discussion and, and you can have more of them. Sure. Uh, simply. And so I think it opens up more possibilities for succession planning and for really helping cultivate that next level of leaders if you can you know give them access to people who are extremely talented but you know outside of your own four walls you know give them access to people outside and in the rest of the world it's tremendous i mean there's so much more variety of these kinds of podcasts or webinars or i mean content is so much richer and so they can play in a whole bunch of different spaces that uh, they can make some intentional choices that, that weren't there before so it's tremendous yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, accessibility and just capacity, if you are a mentor, to really help more people has become much easier through what we learn through technology and just, again, through moving or embracing more of this remote era. That's right. So that's, yeah. that is a great way to look at it, Rob. Thank you for sharing that. So is there one thing or a few things that you're excited about for the future of leadership? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I'm going to be really interested to see where this next generation of post-COVID leaders really goes. I was talking about that earlier, right? But uh, I think there are tremendous possibilities uh, for leaders who have really been shining throughout the last couple of years, and they've really pivoted and have uh, become much, much better leaders. I'm really excited about, uh, I mean, every day I get up, I think, boy, I, this is an opportunity I get to work with some more leaders. It gets me out of bed in the morning. It's pretty exciting for me. Um, but I'm excited most about the chance to, 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 again, I think, create some best practices and and. For me, it's about sharing with leaders what I've seen other great leaders do uh, and helping this network grow around great leadership, whether that's inside an organization that's creating more of a leadership culture inside or whether it's, you know, among across industry groups or across industries to help bring some of those best practices forward. Uh, It's, you know, I, I love coaching leaders and getting into their heads a little bit and seeing, you know, what makes them tick. Uh, it helps. I think it helps me become better uh, myself at, at knowing how to coach other leaders and knowing what to expect. So for me, these are these are exciting times with full of change, and I think we can use uh, tools that have been tried and true over the years to now really see what we've got. You know, really assess who we've got, who are our top performers, our top talent, and leverage them more effectively for the future. Right? I think the the possibilities are great going forward. 
Yeah, that is really exciting. Again, it's excited. I'm excited to see how everyone's applying what they've learned over the last two years and putting it into action to now go forward. For sure. For sure. Really exciting. So with that, Rob, is there something that you've learned over the last two years that you feel has made you a better leader? <laughs> yeah. I, for me, I guess I, I've learned a lot more in coaching leaders over the last couple of years to focus on. Yeah. I think, you know, Angela Duckworth wrote this great book a few years ago about grit. Uh, and so I've heard a lot more of grittiness and resilience coming into conversations as I've talked with leaders and especially over the last couple of years, trying to help leaders focus on how they re-energize, how they recover uh, when, you know, I mean, it's hard work doing, you know, doing what you do. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you're, you know, you're kind of worn down or at the end of the week when you've, you've had a really difficult or challenging week. The ability to recover and to re-energize and to, you know, kind of just refresh your mind or rejuvenate a little bit has become a lot more important. So for me, that's the one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years from these other leaders is keeping your focus, uh, not losing track, uh, keeping in touch with people and finding a human connection. And these things are really important to us and they sustain us. I think I'm learning more about helping leaders recognize when they're at their best and doing their highest value work during those times rather you know, so like if you're like, I'm really good in the mornings, usually, I know this podcast may prove otherwise, but you know, <laughs> doing great. I, I tend to be better in the mornings than I am at the end of the day, especially like a Friday afternoon after a long week. So I know that I'm not going to do email, you know, first thing in the morning, I'm going to do my highest value, most strategic, difficult work first thing uh, if I can and leave my you know boring stuff <laughs> for later in the day. <laughs> Right. Uh, when my energy is a little bit lower. So th those are things that I've learned and have tried to apply and help leaders get a better sense for, you know, where are you right now in terms of your energy and drive? That's really interesting. Yeah. Energy management is so crucial. I mean, that ties into the burnout conversation that is so crucial, but again, just really being able to perform at your, your top level is understanding how to balance that energy, understanding yourself and where you work best at that, to that point, Rob, that, yeah, if you're more of a morning person, you can set your schedule up to be, more productive, more useful with that energy at that point, and then understand that, hey, in the afternoon when maybe I need more time to knock out emails, that can also be, you can set your day up to, to more effectively work yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, I mean, one of the things that we found in the survey was that workers want more flexibility, right? So if right. we want that for ourselves, you know, create opportunities for people that you work with to have more flexibility during their day and say, you know, hey, do we have to have this meeting at 3.30 in the afternoon, or could we move it to a different time? You know, Do we have to have a meeting at all, or can we like send our ideas in and then maybe talk about something that's higher value than just doing status updates? You know, I mean, there are other ways of yeah. approaching it to keep the energy up. Oh, yeah. We, we've so, seen so many meetings be reevaluated uh, in the last couple of years of, is this meeting necessary? Can this be shortened down to an email? Uh, and being just smarter with time, I think that's been something where as, as it's become easier to attend more meetings, I think virtually, we've also been smarter to scale back and really be selective with our right. meetings. Yeah, for sure. Great. So Rob, do you have any advice for our audience that maybe you leaned on throughout your career that you could share and pay it forward? Yeah, this goes back a lot of years. Um, I, was, I was living out in Salt Lake City at the time and a new company was coming to the area, Discover Card, right? was coming into the area and they were going to establish this huge call center, right? A couple thousand people. So we were hiring 
you know, 100, 200 people a month uh, scaling up. And I remember they had us spread out at folding banquet tables and folding chairs that just kind of went on forever. And you were sitting, you know, on this big CRT monitor, two feet from the person next to you, uh, doing customer service calls. And it was, you know, I, I guess in, in many sense of the words, you would look at it as kind of a sweatshop, but we didn't really look at it that way because just energy was so good. And you're getting this constant inflow of new talent. And the CEO came from uh, Chicago, came out to visit us. And it was Tom Butler. And Tom Butler gave a great speech. Tom was the kind of guy who he didn't drive the fanciest car in the organization. He drove a beater car and parked out with the rest of the employees. Um, he was very much one of us. And he came in and he, he gave a speech and he said, he said, isn't it great? Isn't it great to be here? And he, he quoted Shakespeare. He said, you know, we are one of the happy few who get this great opportunity to try a grand experiment and do something really cool with our time. What I learned from Tom and I would just pass on to others is, is gratitude and being grateful can just change your whole perspective on work. Um, it, it doesn't deny the realities of sitting at a, on a hard chair at a banquet table, but it does help you see that there is, there is perspective to everything we do. And it is pretty great at times when you think, gosh, I'm working for a great company with great people. I get to talk to great leaders all day long. I, I should be grateful for that. And uh, sometimes I forget that. I think we all do. But I think if you can be more grateful, your coworkers become your friends. Your work environment uh, becomes that much more enjoyable. Uh, and I think you can find greater satisfaction in, in your day. And for me, that's it's important uh, to wake up feeling like I've got purpose and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that lie ahead. That's a good thing. I love that. That is great advice. Thank you for sharing, Rob. That's that's a good one that, that I'll certainly be taking away from this as well, but I certainly know our listeners will appreciate too. So yeah, again, thank you, Rob, for that one. So again, we're joined by Rob Kayer, Senior Managing Consultant with Via Group. Rob, before we wrap here, do you have anything you'd like to plug, anything you'd like to share with our audience? Well, so I mean, the things we've been talking about today are our are, are wheelhouse, right? So lots of opportunities around, if you're trying to understand your talent better, uh, let us come in and help you with that. Let us be that objective point of view on your talent. Let us work with you uh, to build something that's really great and build a culture for uh, creating more effective leaders. And the more effective your leaders are, the more effective your talent can be throughout the organization. So um, I talked about viability briefly. You know, viability can be one of those solutions for leader development that is really a much richer experience, I think, than uh, is typical today. So it combines the best of coaching and online experience. It's curated, so you don't have to spend all your time, you know, rifling through thousands of online programs. We've done that work for you. So I would say, you know, take a look at that. Uh, you can go to ViaPath, uh, P-A-T-H, ViaPath.com, V-A-Y-A Path. It's a good, uh, it's a good place to go and get, you know, get some insights on. We've written a lot of white papers. Uh, we're pretty active on LinkedIn, uh, and so you can go find us in in a couple of places online and through LinkedIn and get access to our, our thought leadership. Uh, for me, it's about always about creating better leaders and that's our mantra. So whether that's through assessment, coaching, development programs, uh, succession planning efforts, uh, defining roles and setting, you know, setting expectations appropriately, we can help organizations do that and, uh, 
and really advance, I think, their, their agenda in these, in these ways. And it's tremendous value. And you can see the importance of it uh, in the up and coming, you know, leaders that you've got inside your own organization. I mean, this is a rich talent that if we take advantage of them can really be a benefit to us for the long term. That's great. And again, so just as a reminder, if you are interested and want to learn more about creating better leaders, reach out to buy a group, work with members such as Rob, who can really help you develop and build your, your organization. So Rob, before we wrap here today, when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, what's the one thing that really gets you motivated to start your day? <laughs> it's uh, it's the opportunity to work with great leaders, period. You know, I a, a lot of my day, you know, during the week, I'll do several um, interviews with leaders. And it, it's funny. I mean, sometimes these are really long form interviews. And at the end, the leader says, boy, how do you do this every day, day after day? You know, and I say, it's every person is unique. It's an endless supply of energy when you think about the uniqueness of individuals. And it's a great opportunity to get up in the, at the start of the day and say, I'm going to meet people I've never met before in industries that I've, you know, that are just cutting edge, doing great things. And I get to learn from them and contribute to their learning. And that's, uh, that's an endless source of energy for me. Uh, it, just, it hasn't run out in 20 plus years. I don't anticipate it will anytime soon. That's great. It's a good one. And again, as I mentioned at the start, I can just feel your passion coming through on that and working with leaders and building great leadership. Um, it's clearly something you love doing. So I'm glad you're doing it. And again, best of luck in continuing that success and, and keeping it going. But Rob, again, thank you for joining the HR Works podcast. Thanks for sharing so much, not only just about the Via Vision survey, which you shared some great data from that, but just the future of leadership development and how teams can get better and keep developing diverse, successful talent to build their future. My pleasure. Good to be with you, Josh. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. 